All right, if we can make our way back to our seats. If you'll go ahead and start making your way back to your seats. You can go ahead and open your Bibles and turn them to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. We're going to be uh, looking at just two verses tonight, verses um, 5 and 6. All right, so Luke um, chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. So it says, The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you um, for uh, this time, God. We ask that as we open up your word into a a short section of scripture, God, with not a lot of context, we ask that you would speak to us um, from your word, um, that through uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, illuminating this word to our our hearts and minds, um, uh, God, that you would um, give us a sense of what you would have us to know from it. Um, that we would understand it rightly, that we would apply it to our own hearts, God, that you would use your word um, to meet um, different needs in our congregation, different things going on in different people's lives and hearts and and uh, in their faiths. And, and we ask that you would um, work in different ways, God, um, because you know us um, better than we know ourselves. God, you know exactly what each of us needs. Um, we know that you are the great provider. And so we ask that very thing, that you would provide for your people through your word. Father, we, we thank you for, um, the gathering of believers, God. We thank you for, uh, this Lord's Day where, um, all over our county churches have gathered together, um, to, to minister and to, um, serve and to share, God, and to preach your word. Um, we particularly pray for our, our brother and sister churches. God, we often pray for other congregations, but today, um, we particularly pray for, um, our sending church, um, our, our mother church, um, Pleasant Grove Baptist. God, we continue to pray, um, for, for the leadership there and, and, uh, with the two Gregs, um, with Greg Long and Greg Wilson as they lead in, in preaching and in, in music ministry, God. Um, we pray for, for the deacons there who, um, who are also um, connected to the leadership of the church and are, are leading in Sunday schools and, and classes and other um, things. Um, God, we pray for the youth ministry that um, that I work with, God, that you would use it to draw students um, to yourself. 
Uh, Father, we need lots of churches in Blount County. We need um, churches um, moving and connecting to to communities and groups of people that that probably in many cases are the only churches that could connect to those people. And so we ask for your blessing, God, that that every gospel believing church in Blount County that you would that you would prosper them, um, that there would be. Um, growth in in depth, that there would be growth in numbers, that there would be growth in service, that there would be growth in love and ministry. Um, God, we need your spirit to move ahead of us and to go out before us and to stir up hearts and to change lives. Um, God, we need uh, you to to um, bring the rains and bring the sunshine on the seed that, that we lay down. And so um, we ask for your blessing in those things. Um, God, that you would cause Blunt County um, to to awaken uh, and return to you. God, help us to do that as we open your word, um, awaken our hearts. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... Um, you know, we've been, we've been going through this section of Luke and it's a, we're, we're doing these little passages that we talked about the fact that they seem in many ways almost disconnected from each other. I'm going to talk about this week how I think the case is that this passage that we're looking at today is in direct relation to the two previous passages, although, although that's not uh, obvious. Um, I think there would be other people who might say, no, there's not a direct connection, but, but I think there is. So that's the way we're going to deal with the text. So if you've not been here, if you've not had time to listen to the last um, uh, two weeks sermons, let me kind of give you a quick recap of, of what we talked about. Two weeks ago, we talked about uh, the seriousness of leading others into sin. Okay. Um, we learned that for one, temptations are, are bound to come, right? Temptation is just a part of life. There are going to be things that come into our lives that try to stumble us up. We shouldn't be surprised by that. But then the Bible went on to say, but woe to the person through whom those two temptations come, meaning woe to the person who is the instigator of those temptations, the one that, that make them available. And then it said it would be better for that person to have a millstone wrapped around their neck or tied around their neck and thrown into the bottom of the sea. So I told the, to, told the, the story that was serious and yet it was obviously a little bit humorous in some ways of, of James playing the role of the Holy Spirit in my life, um, uh, where he sort of confronted me and convicted me of, of a way that I was being dishonest. Um, and I hope that story didn't sort of like draw our attention away because obviously there's, there's a, a funniness to it or whatever, but, but I hope it didn't draw our attention away from the, from the larger point that we were trying to make. And that is that, um, we have to take very seriously the example that we set for not only our own families and children, but for everybody around us. Um, we have to be incredibly careful not to lead others into sin. And then maybe even a, a larger question or a positive way of asking that question, looking at that issue would be this. Do you set an example by your own choices, either passively or by your habits uh, or whatever, that lead other people away from Christ, right? Do you do things that are act to lead others away from Christ? That's a, that's a serious issue. And, and the consequences of it are serious. Is my life and testimony, um, is it a testimony to God's grace and his power to others? Or does it point people away from God? Okay, that's, so those are no small things. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. Then last week, we talked about this idea 
of forgiveness. And so we said, as as um, probably most of us experience, I mean, forgiveness is one of the hardest things in, I think, what Christ calls us to, right? To actually forgive people who have wronged us, um, to do the hard and vulnerable work um, of, of holding people accountable for their sin, and yet doing that in a way that is not judgmental or self-righteous, but is always open to people returning and reconciling and actually um, seeking forgiveness and being willing to give that forgiveness. And then moreover, as the end of the passage said, to do that over and over again. Right, to do it multiple times a day, even if we are sinned against multiple times a day. Do you do that? Right. I confess that I don't do that. As we went through that message, pretty much every point we made was something that I know that I stumble on and don't live um, according to God's word on. I, I sidestep the sins um, that are committed against me so that I don't have to deal with conflict. Right. Sometimes people will do something to me and it. it it hurts or offends me. And I know it was wrong, but I just don't deal with it because I don't, I don't want to have to deal with the conflict. Um, when people do repent and people seek after forgiveness from me, um, oftentimes I give it, but, but sometimes even in the giving of that forgiveness, I still treat that person in light of the way that they sinned against me. Okay. Which is a demonstration of the fact that I'm not really fully forgiving them. And then if they continue to sin against me, typically I probably would, I mean, honestly, like kind of write them off and just sort of remove that person from my life. And so I look at the way that God has called us to forgive and I go, that certainly maybe do that sometimes, but I don't do it all the time. I don't do it rightly in every situation in which it's presented to me. All that to say, those two things that it gives us, this idea of basically living in perfect holiness as an example to those around us and B, um, living in forgiveness to others is super hard. Um, these are incredibly difficult things in the Christian life, which brings us to our passage. And I think those two set up what's going on in this passage. So the way Luke records it, the apostles sort of out of nowhere in verse five say, they said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Right? Just we're, the, the weird thing about the passage is there's not a lot of context there. We don't exactly know the, the, like the, how they are saying that or what has instigated them saying that. It just sort of pops up out of nowhere. Lord, increase our faith. So, um, some people would might say, well, this is just sort of a random comment. Um, that what is going on here is, is he's just, um, Luke is dropping in these random teachings that Jesus had and collecting them in this place. This is just one situation where somewhere along the way, the apostles said, Hey, Jesus, increase our faith. And, and then this was something he told them afterwards. Okay. And that may be the case. Um, but I think the case is, is that this passage is connected to, um, the other two passages. I think maybe, um, the reason why the disciples asked for Jesus to increase their faith is because they've just heard him say the stuff about holiness and about forgiveness in the past two pa- uh, uh, verses and realize we're not up to this, right? We are not the kind of people who can live this out. If this is the standard that we are called to, then man, um, something is missing inside of me. Like I don't have what it takes to live up to, to that level of holiness and forgiveness that you're calling us to. I need to be something. 
Jesus. I need to be stronger. I need to be better. I need to be more spiritual. I need to have it together more or something. Something in me needs to grow or mature. I need to be more than I am. And you're going to have to make it happen, Jesus. Um, I need more faith. And so I'm asking Jesus that you would increase my faith so that I can live up to, to what you have called me to do. And so if the amount of faith I have currently is not big enough to accomplish what Jesus has called me to do, um, then again, I don't think it's, I think it's a natural way to think. I'm not saying it's a right way to think, and we're going to see that, but it's a natural way to think, man, um, I need something more in me. Jesus, you're going to have to give it to me too, because I can't, I can't do this on my own in some way. But then here's the deal. I think Jesus, what he says, demonstrates that we have misunderstood the situation at a variety of levels. Okay, we're not understanding what's going on here the way that Jesus wants us to. And it leads us to a couple of implications in the text, okay? And again, man, it's it's a small text and there's not a lot of context. And so we're, we're trying to pull some things from it. But here's the first thing that I think we recognize is that there's a possibility at least that the issue is not so much the size of the disciples' faith, but it is their complete lack thereof, okay? This is why I say that. Um, what Jesus, I think, may be pointing to is that they they don't even have, they don't really have an actual faith. Jesus says that a faith, even the size of a mustard seed, which just for context, the a mustard seed was sort of the smallest of the common seeds that you would use in, you know, cooking or whatever. It's not the smallest seed ever, but it's but it's a pretty small seed that you would on a daily basis kind of have contact with. And so he says, even if you had faith that was that small, you could do some incredible things. And so we look at the disciples, and we go, man, how can it be true that their faith is so small that it is not even mustard seed sized? Okay, they must have an incredibly small faith to because they're obviously not accomplishing the things that God wants them to accomplish. But I think there's what's going on here is that it's not that their faith is just super small. It's that there's some way in which it is generally missing or deficient. And again, you might say, how can that be the case? Like these, these dudes follow Jesus around like um, they obviously are believers in God. Um, how can it be the case that these men have have no faith? All right, well, here's the interesting thing. We look at other places in the Bible where Jesus uses this language of mustard seed-sized faith. And what we find is that there's a story that's accounted in Matthew and in Mark um, that is the story of the transfiguration. So, you know, Jesus goes up on the mountain. He's transfigured before his inner circle of disciples. And then they come back down the mountain. When they come back down off the mountain, um, there is a man there who has brought his son who is demon-possessed. And the disciples who were left behind have been unable to cast out the demon. All right. And this is what it says in, in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus turns to those disciples who have been unable to cast out the demon. And he says this, you faithless, right? You faithless and twisted generation. Pretty strong words. How long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to put up with you? Again, it's almost uncharacteristic of Jesus, right? Um, the, the, the way there's a, there's a harshness to the way he's talking that we don't typically see in Jesus, but we see it here. Faithless and twisted. How long am I going to put up with you? And he says, bring him here to me, the, the boy who's demon possessed. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? 
And he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be moved and nothing will be impossible for you, right? So very similar story, a situation where the the disciples are unable to do something, this mustard seed size faith is invoked, and even the illustration of picking up something that is symbolically immovable and moving it, doing the impossible, um, is is presented again, okay? And so there's an interesting thing, too, is that Matthew leaves out something that Mark adds in. We get a little glimpse into the heart of that father um, that we don't in Matthew, but we do in Mark. And some of you probably remember the line because it's something that I think we talk about from time to time. Um, the father turns to Jesus and says, your disciples weren't able to cast out the demon. Um, I've been waiting for you to come back because they weren't able to do it. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. Okay. So, so again, what's, what's going on there? I think there's something that resonates with us when we hear that father's cry, because we recognize that there's something, there's a disconnect in faith somehow. Okay. I would say probably most of us in here believe in God, right? We have trusted in Jesus. Um, we have given our lives over to him, right? I think the disciples in many ways had done those things too. And yet there's still some kind of something that is missing when it comes to these things, right? There's some level connection of faith that is missing. And this man's, even though it's not very explanatory, it does help us with the idea. He says, I do believe, but help my unbelief, right? I I do believe that you can do this, but there's something in me that also doesn't believe that you can. So would you help that? Would you do something about that, Jesus? Um, Perhaps... It's, it's a belief that God can do something, but, but he won't, or, or he, or something like that, right? That he, that he can't, or he won't, or he doesn't care, or something. I don't know what the aspect is. I'm gonna be honest, like, I confess that, that, that there's a, a level of this, that there's a piece missing, and I don't know what the piece is missing in the story. Like, I don't know what's going on in these people's hearts that Jesus is looking at them and saying, well, obviously you don't have faith even the size of a mustard seed, or you'd be able to do these things. Because everything would indicate that they at least have a mustard seed size faith, right? I mean, they, they must. They're followers of Jesus and everything. They must have that. But there's something missing. And, and there's other places in the Bible that we can go that maybe give us hints on this. Maybe James 1.5 has something to do with it. It says, if you lack, any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and he will be given it. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay. So there's a situation where a person is, is saying, I have to ask something from God, this wisdom that I can't get on my own. I need God to give it to me. But then he is advised you have to do that in faith without doubting that God will do this. Because if you're, if you doubt that God will do it, you are a, a, a wavering man and, and you shouldn't expect God to give you anything. Okay. Now 
again, these are, these are, it's a, it's a hard thing to deal with in our own hearts because I go, man, I, I know that that's the way my own heart works many times. I've shared with you multiple times about how one of the hardest things in evangelism for me, the reason I think why I don't evangelize the way I should oftentimes, it's not because I'm scared of them asking hard questions. It's not because I'm scared of them being mad at me or whatever. The real reason is, is at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to do anything. I think I'm going to tell them about Jesus and nothing's going to happen. Okay. That's a problem in my heart. Okay. According to this verse, that's a problem that I would ask something of God that I would expect that God gives generously to all without reproach. And yet I would still sort of go in my heart. Yeah. I don't think he's gonna, like, I don't think it's going to happen this time. There's something that there's a brokenness there, right? I think it must be what's going on in the disciples lives. There's something missing in the way that they're engaging in faith um, with Christ. It's definitely connected with doubt. It may be connected with his willingness or something like that. But but again, all these passages are pointing us towards something. Both the, the passage in Luke that we're in, in, in Matthew and Mark, and this one in James. It's pointing to this idea that with an unwavering faith, God listens and anything is possible. Right? God may bless in and do crazy things. He may bless to the point that you could speak to a mountain or a mulberry bush, which mulberry bushes were supposed to have super deep roots. Okay. That was what they thought anyway. That's why he picks it because it's something that you're like, man, you can never just uproot a mulberry tree, but you could do impossible things. You could throw a mountain into the sea. You could throw a mulberry tree into the sea. Okay. You can, um, you may think to yourself, no, I can't accomplish these things just like the disciples did. And that's the issue that I think is, is tying to this thing. The disciples are saying, God has called me to live in holiness. God has called me to live in forgiveness. And I can't, can't do it. It's impossible. It's not something that's possible for me. And I think Jesus is saying, no, you can actually, you can live in holiness. You can live in forgiveness. In fact, with faith the size of a mustard seed, you can accomplish things that you would never have thought you could have accomplished. Now, you might be thinking to yourself right now, you're saying, Ash, that sounds dangerously sort of like what we would call word of faith preaching. Um, name it and claim it preaching. It sounds like the kind of situation where you're saying, if you just have enough faith, then God will automatically answer all your prayers. If you're sick and you have enough faith, he'll answer it. If you need a million dollars, if you have enough faith, he'll answer it, right? If anything bad is going on in your life, you pray hard enough and believe hard enough, and God will change that, okay? And I'm not saying that, and I don't believe those things, okay? Um, and and I'm and it's what, what we see in this passage is not word of faith um, kind of idea for at least two reasons. The first one is it's the opposite of word of faith in some ways, because he's not saying have a stronger faith. If you had a really strong faith, you would get these things. It's the opposite. He's saying, man, you just need a minuscule little faith, a mustard seed side of little, little faith. You don't need a bigger and bigger faith to accomplish these things. You just need the teeniest little bit of faith. And these things could happen in your life. So it's sort of the opposite. It's not 
always continuing to say, you need more and more and more faith, you need stronger and stronger and stronger faith. That's their problem. They think that's the way this thing works. And Jesus is saying, it's not the way it works. You just need, you need just a little faith. It's got to be a real faith though, but it doesn't have to be a super big faith. It just has to be a little faith. And then the other reason why it's, it's not, that's not what we're talking about is, is again, that whole idea of word faith, it, it depersonalizes prayer. And we've talked about this probably a hundred times. It treats prayer like it's a machine that you pump the right numbers into. And if you pump the right numbers into a faith, then you automatically get out, um, you know, what, what you want out of it or whatever. It makes God into this impersonal being that just has to answer in the way that you ask. Because that's the way he's designed the whole system to go. And here's the deal. And that's not God. God is a personal God. He's got plans and designs for you and your life and the whole world that sometimes are going to go against your prayers. They just are. You're going to want something dumb. And you're going to say, God, please give me this thing. I believe, I believe, I believe. And then God's going to go, I'm not giving you that because it's dumb. And it goes against my plans for you. You're not going to get that. I'm saying no to it. Okay. Um, we see that all through the Bible, right? Paul asked for the thorn in his flesh to be taken away. God says, nope, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus says, take this cup from me, and, and God doesn't, right? He still goes through it. I can't imagine that there are any better examples of faithfulness in prayer than Jesus. And sometimes you don't get those things. So we're not talking about that. We can make faith and, and, and prayer and faith into something formulaic that treats God like he owes us something. But there's a other sin that I think we do too. And I think it's what he's getting at here is we can also, man, just like have a some level of doubt in our hearts where we don't expect anything of God or something. Um, like we just, we believe in him. I believe that yet there is no power in our prayers for anything because Something's missing, right? Just like it is in this passage for the disciples. Jesus says, if you have this mustard seed size faith, you can do so much. You can accomplish incredible things, impossible things. Okay. But I think the next question is you say, yeah, but why? Why could we do that? What is the, what is it about having this mustard seed size faith that would therefore make these things accomplish? be able to be accomplished. And that's the second thing that Jesus is turning around because the disciples think this thing is on me, right? I've got to have a certain kind of faith. And if I don't have this certain kind of faith, none of these things are going to get done. Jesus, Jesus, I need you to make me bigger so that I can accomplish this stuff. And Jesus is, I think, basically saying, uh, you don't need to be bigger. You can be mustard seed sized in your faith and still accomplish these things because the determining factor in these things happening is not the size of your faith. It is the size of what your faith is in. If our faith is set on Jesus, then nothing is out of bounds. If we are looking to Jesus to accomplish these things, then the, our, our tiny little mustard seed faith is plenty for Jesus to accomplish something in. So I was trying to think of like a dumb, some kind of illustration to put it through. And I, it, I it just doesn't, nothing comes like that is perfect. But I was thinking of like a, a spigot, you know, and it would be like saying, Hey, I've got to pour a hundred million gallons of water through this spigot. And, and then I look out at my house and I go, you know what I need? If I'm going to do a hundred million gallons of water, I need a bigger spigot. 
right? I got to have a gigantic spigot outside of my house if I want to put a hundred million gallons of water through it. But that's not true, is it? Right? All you, 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 you can have a tiny spigot outside of your house. What you need is a whole lot of pressure, a whole lot of power behind that. And so you'll send out a ton of water, right? Um, it won't even make any difference how big the spigot is. Okay. Jesus can take your tiny little faith and do incredible things through it. Powerful things, mighty things, impossible things through your faith. You don't need a bigger faith. You just need a real faith. You need something. And again, I wish I could explain to you exactly what that real faith is, because there's all these different little elements of it, but I don't know that we can nail all the pieces down. I see examples of what it's not. Another great place to look is, is the story of Moses at the burning bush. So God comes to Moses at the burning bush and says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to go tell Pharaoh, you know, to, to let my people go. Right. You know what Moses says? Oh, I can never do that. I can never do that. Well, why not? God says, well, who am I that I would go to Pharaoh? I'm nobody. Who am I to be the guy to lead Israel out of, of slavery? And God says, yeah, yeah, but, but I'll be with you. And then Moses says, well, yeah, yeah, but I don't even know your name. I mean, who am I going to tell people that you are? I don't even know who you are. And he says, I am that I am, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Still want you to go. And he says, but they're never going to listen to me, right? Who am I? I'm just this, this dude out in the wilderness. They're, they're not going to, there's nothing that I could do to prove that I was actually sent by you. And he says, I'm actually going to give you the ability to do all these signs that are going to prove it. And he says, yeah, but Lord, I'm not an eloquent man, right? I don't know how to talk to people. I'm not good at public speaking, standing before important people and saying these things. And God says, I'm the one that made the mouth. I'm the one that allows people to speak. It's fine. I'll be there with you. And then finally, basically, Moses just says, just please, Lord, don't send me. I don't have any more excuses. I just don't want to go. I just don't, it, I don't want me, I don't want to be the guy. And, and then in verse 14 of, of that chapter, it says the anger, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, right? This is at the beginning of the whole shebang. And all of a sudden, already God's like, okay, Moses. Okay. I'll get Aaron to do it. And you'll be his, you know, he'll be your mouthpiece the way you're my mouthpiece, okay? Um, and so God is merciful, right? And God allows this situation to happen. But here's the deal. I think, again, Moses is just like the disciples in this. He's looking at what God is calling him to, and he's saying, I'm not up to this. Like, I'm not the guy for this job. You're wanting to accomplish really incredible things like holiness and forgiveness through me, and I'm just not up to it. And what is God saying? He, Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah, but I'll be with you. It doesn't really matter how big your faith is. You don't need more faith. I'll be with you and I will work these things in your life. All you got to do is have a real faith. It doesn't have to be a, a, a super powerful big faith or something like that. The power to accomplish these things is mine. My power is unlimited and I'm going to be with you. The determining element in all this is God right? God is the power. God is the one who can do anything. And if we have access to his power by faith, then regardless of how big our faith is, we can accomplish anything. I think there's something in 
the way that we relate to these things. And again, maybe I'm just speaking on my own behalf, but there is something stoic in us, right? That just sort of like has, that, that keeps these things at a little bit of arm's length. It says, you know, I, I believe that God can do all of these things or whatever, but I'm not really going to hope for, expect them, um, believe, trust that he is going to do these things on a regular basis or whatever. Why? Because I'm going to keep myself at some sort of safe distance where I don't have to feel, I don't know, whatever, disappointed, or maybe it's because I feel insecure that I'm not the person God could use. I don't know what the deal is in your own heart. I know those are all things that go through my heart, but that's what he's, that's what he's addressing in this passage. Probably an illustration that you've heard, and I'll close kind of with this illustration, is the picture of of a man who is scared of heights, and particularly he's scared of walking over a bridge. He's scared of bridges, right? He gets out there on that bridge, it's suspended above, you know, two two bodies of land or over a body of water, and he freaks out because he's like, man, this thing is going to collapse, and I'm going to fall and die, and I don't like being on a bridge, But one day he decides that he's going to conquer his fears, that he's going to go to the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, and he's going to walk across the Golden Gate Bridge, right? And so here's the deal. Once that man has stepped out on that bridge, it makes absolutely zero, it doesn't matter at all how strong his trust in the bridge is. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter how strong his trust is once he's out on the bridge, The bridge doesn't change. His faith in the bridge is doesn't affect the strength of the bridge, right? Um, Whether he is sure of it and that it will hold or whether he is unsure if the the bridge will hold him. Whether the strength of the bridge, um, he walks across it boldly and with confidence or whether he walks across it gently and cautiously, the bridge doesn't change. The bridge is as strong as it always is going to be. It doesn't make any br- difference. The bridge is strong in and of itself, regardless of the man's trust in it. Okay. So really the critical moment then ends up being just taking a step onto the bridge, right? That's the moment that is the key act of faith is that moment when that person says, I'm going to step out onto the bridge. And then after that, you might say, is he confident or not? And the answer is, I think that's maybe what Jesus is getting at when he says, it's, it's okay. You don't need to have a bold, this confident kind of level of faith. You just need to have a little bit of real faith, a little bit of real faith that steps out on that bridge. Because once you're out on that bridge, I promise you, it's going to hold because it's not about your faith. It's about the strength of what your faith is in. That's Jesus. Jesus is the strength of the bridge. And so I think he's saying again, the whole, like we'll close with this, this sort of summary. Jesus is saying, you're right to recognize that you're not enough because you're not. Okay. That is a right impulse. You're misunderstanding its application. But it's a right impulse. You're not enough to live in holiness. You're not enough to, to, to live in forgiveness, but you shouldn't, that shouldn't cause you to doubt. It shouldn't cause you to look inside yourself for something to make up the difference. Okay. You shouldn't start looking inward and saying, I've got to be more if I'm going to accomplish what God has called me to do. It is Jesus working through us that will accomplish those difficult things. It is Jesus working through us that will pick up the mulberry and throw it into the sea. 
It is Jesus working through us that will accomplish the things that we thought were impossible. It is Jesus working through us that will allow us to live in holiness when we thought, there's no way I can live in holiness. It is Jesus who will allow you to forgive that person who you thought, man, there's no way I could ever forgive them. We can trust that he is willing to do it, and we can trust that Jesus is able to do those things. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Again, I ask that that I hope um, that um, the words that I've said tonight are the the implication of the passage that we have read. Um, God, the life you have called us to is not only difficult, the life you have called us to is impossible. At least it is impossible in and of ourselves. God, if we are seeking for strength or might, or faith, or ability in and of ourselves to live the life that you've called us to, we are going to come up empty every time. We are going to come up wanting every time because it is beyond our capabilities to do. But it, but having said that, it is not beyond your capability to work those things in us. God, you are capable of doing anything in our lives. And you have promised that through faith in your son, that these things can take place in our lives. And so we ask that God and, and, and as, as all of us in here, I'm sure, uh, struggle with different aspects of holiness, struggle with different aspects of following you. God, we ask that through the power of Jesus Christ working through faith <laughs> that we would be able to trust and, and stand on and expect um, and to believe and to walk in light of and to look forward to um, the things that we ask from you, um, particularly, God, the promises that you have made to us. But, but even just all of the things that we ask, knowing that, God, you will say no sometimes, and that's okay. That shouldn't change our trust in you at all. That you will say no sometimes, but God, that we can still trust expectantly waiting for you to move um, and do incredible things. God, we pray for, I know each of us has in our hearts different things right now, situations in our lives that we look to and think, this is an impossible situation. This is something that, um, that, that, that we fear or that is coming down the road or, or a relationship or different things, something internal, something um, illness, something in our hearts, sin, all kinds of different situations, God, in which we say to ourselves, there's nothing that can be done about this. Um, it's an impossible situation. Um, and yet nothing is impossible for you. God, give us the faith that is a true faith um, that can move mountains. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Here's the deal. This is what I want us to do. Like, I want us to be able to pray big prayers and expect that they will happen. Does that make sense? Um, I, want to, I want us to be able to pray big things that on the surface we might say, and that'll never happen, but be able to pray those things and say, why wouldn't they happen? We have Jesus with us. Uh, Jesus is on our side. James tells us he gives generally to all who ask without reproach. Uh, my mustard seed faith should be able to ask God to do something and by the power of Jesus that mountain will be moved just like the song says I think they were thinking about those verses that we read today when they wrote that song probably um, uh, good song by the way good choice um, uh, that's what I want I want us to be able to pray big prayers um, knowing that God may have other plans but yet having a, a trust in God a hope in God, an expectation that he's the kind of God who would do these things in our midst. Make sense? Amen? Um, we, I hope that you will pray to that end. Um, I hope you'll pray that in your own lives. You'll pray that for our congregation. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll move forward in the way that God leads us. Um, good to see you. Um, glad you're able to be here tonight. Hope you have a great week. Here's this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.